The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800-600-8192. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. Thank you for joining me. And uh, if you've listened before and come back, I hope you're finding a source of inspiration, a source of information that you don't get anywhere else. An American Muslim who believes that Americans hold the solution to defeating radical Islam, that especially American Muslims need to be at the head of the spear, and that all of you, whether you're Muslim or non-Muslim, will help us lift up that spear to defeat the radicals, and that we Muslims must take responsibility. Take responsibility, take ownership for the threat that threatens our brothers and sisters at home, and that we can do things in America that you just can't do anywhere else, and that reform must begin. Reform must begin here. And you know, there were a certain group of people back in 1776 that got together, that led, that took ownership for their own rights, that put their lives on the line in an American revolution that ended that ended on that day of independence on July 4th, 1776. One of the holidays that I revere the most is July 4th. That holiday that reminds us of what it means to be American, that special sacrifice that our founding fathers gave to create this great nation, this hallowed nation that gives us, that is the beacon of light, that is that city on a hill for the world to represent what liberty truly is. You know, I was talking to some friends uh, this week and was talking about how many people, as much as we have to take care of ourselves first, they underestimate, and I'm talking about America first, they underestimate the role that we as a country, the role that we have in being ambassadors for liberty abroad, that the way America goes, so too do the free thinkers of the world go. So too is the inspiration for those who seek to shed the yoke of dictatorship and autocracy from Saudi Arabia to Afghanistan to China to North Korea to Africa, that those who live under oppression, which is 70% of the world today, lives in countries that are not free, that do not have religious freedom, that Freedom House and other think tanks that look at the status of religious freedom and the freedom of citizens across the planet realize that these countries are not anywhere close to the freedoms that we enjoy in America. 
I mean, on this weekend, I could not help, as we come close to July 4th, I could not help but first start to tell you that I turned out, I became who I am because my parents instilled in me that belief, that love, that passion, that America as the freest nation on earth, a country founded by those seeking to shed the yoke of theocracy, the yoke of dictatorship, sacrifice so much for us, and that we must continue to sacrifice for them and for our children and our grandchildren and our grandchildren's children. So what will be our legacy? And I think that is so important. When I talk about reformation, any of you Muslims out there, or if you know any Muslims, ask them, what will be their legacy? The gift that God gave them in living in a country that's a byproduct of the American Revolution of our July 4th, what will be their legacy to their grandchildren? What will they leave behind as a dose of cure, a dose of repair, for the world that continues to slide actually more towards, towards oppression, more towards repression than freedom or liberty? Will our legacy be to stay in slumber, to stay oblivious to what's happening in the world? Or will our legacy be to own up to the leadership that America has in the world in advancing freedom? And when we slumber, the vacuums that seek freedom, the vacuums that are opened by people wanting to be free or even not necessarily realizing that they wanted freedom, but realizing that they hated dictatorship, that they hated being unequal, that they hated being slaves of the military regimes of Egypt and Saudi Arabia and Tunisia and Yemen and Libya and Syria and elsewhere. But they didn't know what it was going to be replaced with. And we are the ambassadors of that most ideal replacement. Now, we could be snobs about it and say that, well, only the West could figure this out. The Muslim world is, is, is stuck with dictatorship. They'll never get out of there. So let's at least feed the dictators that, let's help solidify the dictators that at least will only enslave their own people and won't hurt us. That's a facade. That is a deep facade. Because I guarantee you that the dictator, the king of Saudi Arabia who lays out the red carpets for our presidents and lines the bank accounts of many corporations in the West. When push comes to shove, he has a plan that seeks Islamic State domination with the Saudi ownership of the custodians of the royal mosque, but that caliphate that they dream of, in which they dream, they may not say, but they dream of the end of the free world, that secular hedonistic free world that the Wahhabis reject. They don't look upon us as free nations. They don't look upon us as nations that 
are aspiring to allow Muslims to practice their faith like they can nowhere else in the world. No, they see it as anti-Islam, anti-Muslim, and barriers, barriers to their own Islamic supremacy. Now, they may pretend to be our allies. They may pretend to want to work with us against ISIS, which they might. That little monster in Syria and Iraq that they helped create through their ideology. But they are no friends. They are no allies of American values. They might be America's allies strategically from a military perspective today in July 2017. But they are not allies of free thinkers, of anti-tribal individualists, of anti-collectivists, anti-theocrats. Those in the prisons of Saudi Arabia and the prisons of Qatar who want to be free are our natural allies. So on this July 4th, as you thank God or look inside yourselves and realize that we are the most blessed people on the planet when it comes to our government and our history, but we're on the verge of losing it unless we realize, as Ronald Reagan said, we are always one generation away from, possibly one generation away from losing it. And as we remember what it means to be American, realize that that tool, that remembrance of American values is the most potent weapon, not only against Islamism, not only for national security, but for our sustainability as a republic, for our sustainability as a cohesive society that gives every individual the American dream, the space to seek or at least dream of that American dream. So thank you, mom and dad. Thank you, America. Thank you, Americans, for welcoming our families. That country based, this country based in immigration, that salad bowl, that melting pot, uh, that come together in a social contract cohesively brought together by that constitution, by that declaration of independence that our founding fathers fought to create in that American Revolution. Happy 4th of July this week. And when we come back, I'll give you a little update on my conversation I'm trying to have with Alan Dershowitz and his surprising defense of those who would advocate for forms of female genital mutilation. We'll also talk a little bit about Qatar and follow up of that and also about Syria. This is Zudi Jaster on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. 
host, Dr. Zudi Jasser, on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. A lot to talk to you about this week. Hope you're all uh, uh, looking forward to having a great July 4th. I know my family is. And um, I wanted to follow up quickly a story I ended last week's episode talking to you about, which is sort of this bizarre twist in which a, a liberal, a known icon about civil rights and religious freedom, Alan Dershowitz, who has actually very valiantly defended the rights of Muslims for halal meat, uh, to uh, uh, defend Muslims for their religious freedom, for building mosques and other things, now has bizarrely decided to side with the families of the Dawoodi Bora community that had a deep affliction with sanctioning forms of female genital mutilation. Now, Alan screamed fake news when the New York Times claimed that he was joining the defense. He said, no, 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 I'm not joining the defense, but I'm simply providing an alternative called a, a clitoral hood nick that he believes can be done to just get a drop of blood from that little microscopic area on an infant, girls, a young girls, anywhere from newborn to age seven, eight, in which they do these procedures. He feels that the compromise procedure, a little nick on the hood, would be a way to allow the, 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 these communities to perform these rituals, maintain their religious freedom without hurting the girls, and he believes that's not female genital mutilation. Now, I reminded him that for those of us who've been working this issue, and especially the women who formed organizations like Sahiyo, S-A-H-I-Y-O, and other women leaders that have been working with these communities, they can testify to often attempts for little simple nicks end up being scarring, Talk to any doctors that see any problems with that part of the female anatomy at that age. They will tell you they'll refer them to specific plastic surgeons and others because of how sensitive and how anatomically absurd it is to assume that those procedures will be done without any harm. That's the medical part, let alone the intent. I wrote a piece at the Gatestone Institute released this week. I'd ask you to take a look at it about the fact that this is any form of procedure done to young girls, especially children, without the consent, their own consent, is horrific. And the attempts of Alan Dershowitz and others to equate that with male circumcision is absolutely dangerously ignorant. It is ignorant. Male circumcision is not done to intentionally decrease or take away the hypersexuality of men. And this is not just about the Dawoodi Bora community. This is about, there are, there's a Sunni imam in Northern Virginia, one of the leading countries, leading Sunni imams, Al-Sayyid, who had to be removed from his post just a few weeks ago because he made a little educational talk at his mosque in which he said 
that societies that do not perform female circumcision deteriorate because the women are hypersexual and they need too many partners in which this God-created hypersexuality is not tempered and not limited by this procedure. So, Mr. Dershowitz and anyone else, like Dr. Aurora, Dr. Jacobs, that wrote that piece in the Journal of Medical Ethics that I spoke to you about, I think, uh, over a year ago, many of these folks that talk about compromised procedures are ignoring, ignoring the intent of the procedure. And I'll leave it to the lawyers to explain to you why intent, just like in manslaughter versus murder, one, two, or three, intent is the major difference there. And there is no benign intent when touching a young girl's genitals. The intent of even a pinprick is that these families are culturally in, in a draconian way, believing that their theology is that these girls are hypersexual and they need some type of blood-tinged procedure to cleanse them of that hypersexuality. So, no thank you, Alan Dershowitz. No thank you, any of the do-gooding folks that want to protect religious freedom. This is false. This is a facade of religious freedom. The reality is it's about misogyny. It's about controlling women under the yoke of their brothers, of their fathers, of their uncles, of the men in their families, so that they're told they grew up in a culture of oppression. They're told that they've been corrected from their hypersexuality and they will be normally tamed girls. If that's not sick, I don't know what is. So before an attorney rushes to protect the erosions of religious freedom and does this moral false equivalency in which you equate other procedures done to children like male circumcision to a misogynistic, oppressive culture of hate and supremacism to girls. Hate and supremacism, make no mistake. I would ask, let's say a, a family told you, let's say it's not even harm, it's not harmful physically. They told you, Dr. Dr. Jasser, when my baby's born, can you please put this oil on? I believe this oil is from Adolf Hitler's spiritual presence. And it will cleanse the baby to make sure that no Jewish blood ever flows in its veins. No doctor, no self-respecting doctor would ever perform that procedure. So we have the right as human beings to refuse to perform even symbolic procedures that are filled with hate and supremacism. No self-respecting believer in universal human rights would ever perform a hateful procedure, even if it's about no knives or any blood being shed. We would reject that and say that my values reject anything to do with Nazism or hate or supremacism or anti-Semitism. So it is anti-Muslim, it is anti-Islamic, it is anti-woman, anti-modernity to participate in any procedure done to the genitals of girls. And I am ready to debate Mr. Dershowitz at any time. We released a press release this week, 
at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy asking media to engage us and ask Mr. Dershowitz to engage us. Because if he's going to consult with these families and give them this procedure that he claims to have thought of, which he did not think of, it was published horrifically in the Journal of, yes, Medical Ethics in February 2016. I chair the bioethics program, been teaching bioethics uh, at a large healthcare facility for over 20 years. So I'm not speaking about this from a lack of expertise or from a lack of understanding or from the hip. I also presented this issue to the AMA. And yes, the author of that article, Dr. Aurora, was representing the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the AMA and spoke against it, claiming that this was a harmless procedure that somehow in a utilitarian way would prevent the children from then going to Somalia or going elsewhere overseas to get a more horrific procedure done. Well, in the United States, we don't have a bigotry of low expectations. A bigotry of low expectations for folks that we think would do something worse elsewhere. We hold tight to our American principles, our universal human rights. And the AMA did not want to weigh in initially, even though they have, by policy, condemned any and all forms of FGM from type 1 to type 4 or 5. And then they came back, this meeting that I just went to in June 2017, and did make a statement that the nicking in any procedure is prohibited by their interpretation of our standards of our profession. That's the standard that... The FBI used when they arrested these doctors. That's the standard that we should use in the profession of medicine. And I call on all Americans to marginalize the opinions of people like Alan Dershowitz and the families of the community in Detroit and any Sunni, Shia, Muslim community that believes that female circumcision is necessary because it is evil, it is draconian, and it is the tip of the iceberg of Islamist misogyny against women in a tribal community that needs deep reforms. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. We've talked about July 4th, the oddities of the leftist so-called champion of religious liberty, Alan Dershowitz, and what he's chosen to do with uh, female genital mutilation. But now let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Syria. You know, one of the things, uh, Syria's been more in the news lately, not only because of the continued the continued humanitarian disaster that evolves in a civil war that just will not end. It will not end because it's not a civil war. Syria has uh, become the ground zero of the Sunni-Shia divide in the Middle East. Ground zero of Russia's attempt to keep its foothold uh, 
in the Middle East against American interests at whatever cost necessary. It's not a civil war because Syria has become a client state, a direct client state of Iran. Now, one of the things we talk about how there are many apologists out there for the Assad regime. And those apologists speak to the fact that somehow the Syrian revolution had nothing to do with the families that started revolting or rebelling against the regime in Dara when their children started to disappear because their families were questioning the regime, which was not new. This was something that's been happening across Syria for decades since Hafez Assad took over in 1970 and since the Ba'ath Party took over in its apparatus in 1963. But something, a spark started in 2011, and that spark was in the urban area, the rural areas. in which the families thought that if they started to march, if they started to post videos and inspire, inspire the revolution as they saw in Egypt, as they saw in Tunisia, that the world would pay attention. And that spark grew. The military started to shoot them in the streets. The marches initially of thousands upon thousands were not just Sunni, they included even Alawites, the Shia fringe splinter sect, which includes all of the family of the Assad regime. But there were Alawites, there are Alawites that are anti-regime. They marched. Christians marched. And Sunnis marched. And Druze marched. For month after month, and the Assad regime then decided that they would continue to kill anywhere from 500 to 1,000, if not 2,000 a week. Hundred to 150,000 died within the first one to two years, and there still was no ISIS. But the rebellion became more sectarian. Assad allowed the inflow of Sunni jihadists into Syria and also out of the prisons. And slowly these militant barbarians who also hated the Assad regime began to have common enemy with the initial rebellion of the people. And the waters became more and more muddled and muddied with the blood of Syrians of all stripes. The Christian community then retracted back away from the rebellion. The Alawites retracted back away from the rebellion. And it became predominantly Sunni, which the Sunnis then were being radicalized as they were being fed by the Saudis and the Qataris, who certainly weren't giving any funding or fuel or support to the secularists of the Free Syria Army. No. They were fueling the Islamists, and the Obama regime was just, oh, I'm sorry, the Obama administration <laughs> was, uh, was missing in action. Then 2013, ISIS starts to form in northern Iraq and Raqqa, and Raqqa, Syria. And we know what follows after that. But what I wanted to talk to you today, what I wanted to talk to you today when you think about the jihadists coming into Syria, 
What people don't realize is that actually half, if not more, are militia groups fighting for the Assad regime. Shia. Shia militia groups fighting for the Assad regime. Lebanese Hezbollah, 20,000, 30,000. Saraya al-Ghalbun, Lebanese Shia. Harakat al-Sabrin, Lebanese Shia. Tawheed Saraya, Lebanese Shia. Afghani Hezbollah, Fatemayun Brigade, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, a terror group, the IRGC, with tens of thousands in Syria. The Al-Quds Force, the Naqsha Forces, all from Iran. Pakistani Zainubiyin Brigade, Shia forces, fighting for the Assad regime. Bahraini Saraya Al-Mukhtar, Shia forces, fighting for the Assad regime. Yemeni Al-Ansar Allah, Shia forces fighting for the Assad regime. So, I'm not trying to say that the Shia have a monopoly in Syria on evil. No. And there are many Shia, if not a majority, who are against the Assad regime. But that's not what's driving the force right now in Syria. The two most evil forces fighting one another are Shia forces of the Assad regime versus the Sunni militants of ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Jabhat al-Nusra, and other jihadi groups that are also coming from all over the planet. So make no mistake, there's one, by the way, the non-Shia forces that are fighting with the Assad regime include the Al-Quds Brigade of the Syrian-Palestinian community, and the Intifada Conquest, the Al-Ba'ath Battalions, the Palestinian Popular Struggle Front, the Al-Jaili Palestinian Fronts, the Palestinian Liberation Army. These are Sunni forces that are not with the Free Syria Army that have always... Remember, Hamas Hamas had headquarters in Damascus for 15 years before the revolution. Now, they claim after that they ended up siding with the Free Syria Army, but it appears now that many of them are also fighting with the Assad regime. So, before... You let anyone claim, set aside what the Syrian army is doing with the use of chemical weapons. And, you know, again, whatever you think about President Trump, this week, Ambassador Nikki Haley sent out a warning, as did President Trump, that they see things happening in the satellite images that it appears that they were going to be doing exactly what they did six to eight weeks ago when President Trump authorized the targeting of an airfield in which chemical weapons were going to be used and had been used, and they targeted it right after it and demolished the source. This time they caught it before, and General Mattis, Secretary Mattis, this week said that he believes that the administration's warning prevented the use of chemical weapons. Now, is that propaganda of war? I don't believe so. We know, those of us who are aware of what's happening in Syria, we know that the Assad regime has used chemical weapons 20, 30 times, if not more. We know they attempted to use chemical weapons again two months ago and used them. So it is not far-fetched that they saw what was about going to happen. 
the Trump administration does not want to launch a second attack because he won an election on the premise that we would be getting involved in less foreign entanglement. So I can see why he would try deterrent warnings to prevent the need for the use of force. But his red lines actually mean something. And you have to give him that credit. You have to give him that credit. Assad blinked. And not only that, Nikki Haley's commentary through a tweet and through testimony to Congress was that Iran and Russia are not only complicit, but actively aware of what's going on. And all these forces that I just cited for you are part of that active awareness that facilitated transport and infusion into the Syrian population as their country is ripped apart by one of the most heinous civil wars seen in over a century. So, I'm sure there'll be more, more hand-wringing about what's going on in Syria, what we should do next, what we should have done, what we should be doing. Nobody knows the right answers. Nobody knows what's going to come next. But I can tell you that whatever's going to come next, it has to be with a departure and a decimation of ISIS and Assad. Should America decimate Assad? Not necessarily. Just decimate ISIS and get Iran and Russia out of the mix, and Assad won't last another year. Get all those foreign jihadists out of there, and both Assad's jihadists and the Sunni jihadists. Both are as evil. That's the only step forward. Might get worse. It's like treating cancer, like I've said. Patients getting chemo will often get worse before they get better, and some, yes, don't make it. And we'll deal with it. But treating the disease is the only option. Syria is on its deathbed. 10 million displaced out of 21 million. 600,000, if not more, dead. And more on the way to die. Unless Assad is terminated and his regime is terminated along with ISIS. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This and we'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand. To me, scripture is not an ancient book filled with irrelevant and obsolete accounts of long forgotten people. No, the Bible is a comprehensive matrix of reality. The Bible is where I go to gain information on how the world really works. Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This in our last segment this week. You know, I know we've talked about Qatar before. I've explained what's going on in that uh, my episode about uh, the Middle East Rubik's Cube. But something happened this week in the stories that I think should resonate with every one of you about what we're dealing with. 
American Airlines claims that they had no idea this was coming. And uh, I believe uh, President uh, Doug Parker, who said uh, he was not happy about what he heard. And he heard uh, publicly that Qatar was attempting to purchase as much stock as possible. And they can do up to four point whatever, seven, eight percent without getting board approval. But they did announce that their goal is to get 10 percent. Eight hundred million dollars that they're ready to plop down to own 10 percent of it of Western Airline. Why would they want to do that? Why would a country that now is suffering from a blockade, a country that is already leaning towards Iran because of its ostracization from the GCC, all of a sudden try to buy a foreign airline. And the stock of American Airlines went up with that news. Qatar Airways is ranked supposedly by consumer reviews. I don't even know what that means when the citizens of their country are not autonomous agents, but maybe it's Western reviews. I don't, I don't know. But bottom line is, is uh, they call this a, an economic move. I call it an Islamist move. Why are Muslim reformers stuck searching for crumbs in the Middle East's breadbasket of ideas? Not good ideas, but fascist, theocratic ideas. Why are we on defense while they're on offense? Well, they figured out that the way to silence the West is through financial entanglements. The way to make the West turn a blind eye to Muslim Brotherhood influence and infiltration of their ideology is through financial entanglements. Imagine, and I tweeted this out when I first heard this story, imagine if in the Cold War the Soviets had openly said they were going to buy 10% of an American industry of a leading giant in an American airline industry. It would have been laughed, laughed at as absurd. And it looked like Qatar proceeded to buy the stock. Now, hopefully, Mr. Parker's protests will be met with some ability for the board to block it. Because make no mistake... This is an effort to create financial entanglements that prevent the vetting and transparency necessary to connect the dots of what Qatar does and what it buys for influence in the ideas out of Brookings Institute, out of universities where it has endowed chairs, out of corporations, presidential libraries, foundations like the Clinton Foundation, on and on. It buys silence, and it actually buys advocacy. I talked to you a couple weeks ago about how former Attorney General Ashcroft filed as a foreign agent of Qatar for an ungodly number of millions for 90 days of work. Let's see what they get out of that. They got an ex-conservative Attorney General. X, because I no longer trust anything 
Mr. Ashcroft does. He's working with our enemies. He's working with the Islamists. When did Mr. Ashcroft ever blink an eye to voice one support for a reformer working against Islamists? And yet, the financial source of Al Jazeera, the font that gets millions and tens of millions, up to 60 million viewers a day, that spreads the ideas of political Islam, Islamism. And there are reports that say, if you aren't with the Muslim Brotherhood, you could not get a job at Al Jazeera. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's reports of former employees. And that's who our former Attorney General under President Bush decided to help come to their rescue in this crisis mode that he said he would help prevent their ostracization. Oh, they have a base, and our base is there. We have to keep it. No, the UAE is saying, welcome, bring your base to us. Costs money, yeah, but they'll help fund it. The UAE, regardless of, yes, they're not a font of human rights either, but they certainly aren't globally the primary mothership of the Muslim Brotherhood. They've declared the Muslim Brotherhood a terror organization and many of its affiliates, including the Council on American-Islamic Relations, which the UAE named as part of that network. Do I think that should have been done? We can talk about uh, in America, I think that's actually more harmful encountering them when you push them underground. So, no, I don't agree with that designation, but the designation is educational. When the UAE that knows these groups and the Islamist nature of them as Islamiyin in Arabic, when they protest in America the use of that term, you realize that they're lying. They know they're Islamist and their creators in the Middle East know very well who is and who is not an Islamist. And we also heard this week that a group from the Washington Institute were going to be suing Al Jazeera, suing Qatar, as former cameraman Mohammed Fahmi, an Al Jazeera English reporter, along with their lawyer Martin McMahon, held a press conference at the National Press Club about a lawsuit on June 22nd. And they said basically that they had been convicted in Egypt on charges of collaborating with the Muslim Brotherhood to spread the terrorist group's agenda via fabricated news stories in the Egyptian revolt. Fahmi served 438 days in Egyptian prison while his colleague Fauzi sought asylum in the United States. False stories about the Brotherhood included reports of millions of Muslim Brotherhood supporters raging in Cairo and a general misrepresentation of the Muslim Brotherhood's activity in Egypt. But Al Jazeera was actually working in collusion with the Muslim Brotherhood, which allowed the network to cooperate or operate illegally in Egypt during the revolution. In return, Al Jazeera supplied the terror group with cameras, equipment to spread its propaganda, and that it endangered its employees. 
So the point of this lawsuit, which I think should also be very educational, and hats off to the Washington Institute for doing this, it's not citizen journalism, as Al Jazeera likes to call it. It's taking sides, endangering the lives of your reporters and becoming part of the struggle rather than just reporting on it. That's what he said at the press conference. So that is what RT is, Russian Terror now, I'm sorry, Russian television is about a propaganda arm of the Putin regime. Al Jazeera claims it's a free-thinking network of information and news. Baloney and these prisoners who served in Egypt because they found themselves sucked into operations for the Muslim Brotherhood under the guise of reporting for Al Jazeera now we will find out in court, in pleadings, in discovery, exactly what the Al Jazeera English operation is all about. And remember how upset we were when Al Jazeera English bought to the tune of half a billion dollars from Al Gore's company access to the living rooms in America. Now, thankfully it failed, despite the fact that we had no offensive counter-argument, counter-ideology. It failed on its own merits because their ideas just don't sell here, thank God. But that doesn't mean that we still shouldn't be moving forward. This lawsuit is finally a move in the offense. And we have so much to do. But it's just beginning. The isolation of Qatar, I think, is a wonderful first move in this chess match. But warning, eventually this chess match is going to have to include the isolation of Saudi Arabia. Yes, I said it, Saudi Arabia. It's not going to happen right away. But over the next 5, 10, 15 years, eventually Saudi Arabia is going to have to be diagnosed as the primary cancer once we finally see regime change in Qatar or eventually, hopefully, another form of an Arab awakening as the Al-Thani family, which is ideologically true believers with the Muslim Brotherhood and Yusuf Qardawi and other icons of Islamism. But ultimately, I hope we see their demise and the demise of their ideas globally. Thank you for joining me this week. We've covered a lot of territory. We've covered a lot. And on this fourth, I thank God I thank God for our founding fathers and what they gave us. And may the next year in the birthday of this country be another year of security, of spiritual unity of as a country, uniting our American spirit for American freedom and liberty and advocacy for all those who see us as that shining city on a hill. Happy 4th, and God bless the United States of America. This is yours. Zudi Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.